birthday sauce we're back we're back we're back it was it was a week and you're probably wondering what was with the monsters inc random lady from the desk telling mike wazowski he didn't do his paperwork or he didn't file his paperwork well that is about what i sounded like last tuesday when i sat down to record and i had stuff that i wanted to do and i wanted to record and i wanted to put something out before the final four started, but I it, seriously, it sounded like my mouth was full of sawdust. I mean, I, I couldn't talk. I sounded terrible. I'm still not really out of the woods yet. Allergies have been crazy. I sounded like crap the last, I mean, since Tuesday, it got really bad. And this weekend I got better a little bit and I, I'm good now to at least record and to the point where editing will help my voice sound somewhat better but that's what happened last week i just i was not good to go i wasn't ready to to record and put something out could i have yes but it would have sounded like it would have sounded like death it wasn't worth it and i was just like i just i'm gonna rest my voice i'm gonna wait and get better and i'm gonna come back tuesday after everything's done after the championship is done and we're just gonna figure it out from there and i'll do my best to sound somewhat presentable. So that that's that's the meaning behind the Mike Wazowski file your paperwork lady, other than the fact that I think Monsters, Inc. is a really good movie. But what I'm going to do today, what we're going to start with is we're going to start with college basketball. We're going to start with recapping the Final Four, the championship, some thoughts on that, what I, what I took away from it, what's super important about it, what isn't, and I'll give you a hint, what isn't important is Villanova. I'll leave it at that. I have nothing to say about Villanova because Villanova is pretty much what I thought and said that they were. Thought that they were good enough to beat to beat Michigan, even though they were undersized. But once they get a really good team that's bigger than them, they're going to lose, and they did. It wasn't close against Kansas, and that pretty much went exactly how I thought it was going to go. But we're, what we're left with is Duke-Carolina, that craziness game, and then Carolina-Kansas. And certain things that happened, certain things that didn't happen, what I thought about that game overall, and just some closing thoughts on the tournament, what I thought overall as a whole on this year's March Madness, what I liked, what I didn't like, what what could get better next season. Uh, we also have pretty much breaking St. Peter's news as I record, and as I said last week, or well, two weeks ago on last show, right, the, or no, did I say it two weeks ago? Honestly, I don't remember because timing was, timing was off. No, it wouldn't have been because none of it would have happened yet because last week was the Elite Eight and the Sweet 16, so I wouldn't have even said anything. So we have three St. Peter's players. The three of them are going into the transfer portal. Let me make sure I have the names right. I know Doug Eddert has entered the transfer portal, and there were two other ones. Daryl Banks is going to transfer. And Matthew Lee is going to transfer. So we've got Daryl Banks, Doug Eddert, and Matthew Lee all transferring out of St. Peter's. Going to, I would assume, Seton Hall, most likely. That wouldn't shock me, and it wouldn't wouldn't shock anybody, right? Was, hey, big shock. Hey, look at this. Holloway leaves for Seton Hall. Look at this. Literally two days later, three days later, 
Oh my gosh, three of the stars of the St. Peter squad are transferring. Wow. Consider me absolutely shocked. So, again, this is one of those things that I'm not sure how I'm going to approach this because I totally want to do a show where I just nerd out about the transfer portal, where I nerd out about NIL. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it worth it? Does it make sense? Am I part of the old band of college basketball people that want everything to go back to the way it used to be? Do I like how the game's evolving and it's changing? So I don't know how I'm going to end up doing this, but I want to say right now, on record, I knew this was going to happen. I told multiple people they are going to leave. I, I knew was, I was telling people as soon as St. Peter's won in the round of 32, going to Sweet 16, I said, these guys are going to transfer. Shaheen Holloway is going to get a head coaching job somewhere, and there are going to be at least one to two players that leave and go exactly where Shaheen Holloway is going to go coach. I said it, word for word, and it happened exactly. And then I'm not, I'm not tooting my own or I'm not saying I'm a genius, and I'm not saying that I'm the only one who saw this. I'm just saying it was predictable. And it was easy to see. And for those of you out there that are thinking to yourself, oh, how can this happen? Where's the loyalty? Why, why can't they just stay? This shouldn't happen. This isn't how college basketball is meant to be. It's about brotherhood. Actually, wrong. College basketball is about doing everything you can to get to the pros. That's what college basketball is about. Until, until tournament time comes around, at least. Because part of it, you kind of just forget everything and you go all out. You kind of ignore the chances of getting hurt. You can disregard certain situations. But overall, when St. Peter's is there, when they're in the round of 32, when they pull that round of 64 upset, and they're there playing for a chance to go to the Sweet 16, the only thing on their mind other than winning is how big of a school do I get to transfer to? How, how much money do I get to make in NIL deals? Where can I go? to advance myself as a person, as a player, and give myself a shot at the league, a shot that I thought that I would have any chance of getting at a year ago, or month, months ago, weeks ago even at this point, a month ago, right? A month ago, I, had they even won the mock yet? I don't even know, because April 5th, March 5th, had the mock championship even been played yet? I have no idea. I'm not gonna look up, look it up and tell you either. You go look it up if you care that much about the mock. A year ago, month ago, these guys weren't even in this discussion. They weren't even, nobody knew who they were. Nobody. And now they're national phenomena and their head coach is head coach at a Big East school. You think, you, you, your kid, your nephew, your brother plays at a school, 2,500 total enrollment undergrads, and they get a shot to just go to a Big East school and play basketball. Where NBA scouts look at games where you will get witnessed by a national audience night in and night out you wouldn't want your son you wouldn't want your nephew any you wouldn't want your best friend to have that opportunity that's what the transfer portal does does it stink that we'll never see a saint peter's squad like that again or maybe even another 15 seed squad like that again does it suck yes of course it does but it's because of the transfer portal that guys like this have an opportunity to play to play big time at a smaller school, get a shot somewhere else, and get nationally recognized 
for all the work that they put in. Their reward for sticking with St. Peter's as long as they did is they now get a shot at Seton Hall or wherever they go on the East Coast, or anywhere they go overall, right? These guys have been nationally acclaimed now. These guys are not, I'm not going to say household names, but if you know college basketball, you know St. Peter's. St. Peter's is now that team that made that miracle run as a 15th seed. It's not Florida Gulf Coast anymore. It's not Oral Roberts. Five years from now, you ain't going to remember Oral Roberts, other than the fact that the name of their school is Oral freaking Roberts. That's the only thing you're going to remember. You're not going to remember them for their basketball. You're not going to remember them because they had Kevin O'Banner, who then transferred to Texas Tech and averaged 18 points a game, whatever he did. Right? You're not going to remember Oral Roberts because of Max Aismas being the nation's leading scorer and taking them to the Sweet 16. You're not going to remember them for anything. You're going to remember Oral Roberts for one thing, and it ain't Roberts. St. Peter's will now be remembered as the basketball Cinderella, as the basketball perfectionist in terms of the underdog, the perfect basketball underdog. That's St. Peter's now. It ain't Lob City. It ain't Roberts Oral. It's St. Peter's. And they're gone. They paid their dues. And now they get to reap the, they get to reap the benefits of their run. It's that, it's that simple. It's that simple. And without the transfer portal, they'd be stuck at St. Peter's with nowhere to go, with no money to be made in NIL deals if they were to even stay, right? Because now, if St. Peter's didn't want them to transfer, St. Peter's can shell out hundred grand. Because now they get more funding because of what they did. Now they get more students. Because undergraduate admissions are going to skyrocket. And maybe it's not necessarily how it should work, but it is, right? Students will now see St. Peter's as a place to go. Basketball students, basketball people will see St. Peter's as a place to go. It'll increase their undergraduate admissions. It'll increase graduate admissions. It'll increase funding. They will get more money that they can use to improve their basketball program and get more people there and, re and re get the other people to return. And they can get more returning players, get people to stay. Hand them 50 grand instead of telling them to go to Seton Hall right down the road, right? That's just kind of, that's kind of how it works. That's a little, that's my little tidbit, tidbit of breaking news. So on to, on to the national championship game in the final four. I just want to start by saying North Carolina Duke in the final four, masterful. Masterful college basketball. That's amazing college basketball storylines. Coach K, final game, arch rival. It's, per, it's perfect college basketball storytelling. It's perfect college basketball anything. Any narrative story spectacle viewing emotion tenacity pace toughness anger rivalry anything you could possibly imagine in a college basketball game this is it stakes high stakes not only is it a rivalry game not only is it 42 year head coach coach k's last game potentially this is the final four you win, you play for a national championship. You lose, you go home. You're done. Crazy. What a great game and what a great thing to be able to witness. I don't think people realize how lucky they are that they got to witness that game. Those of you that were able to watch it. That game is a historic game. That is one of the five most historic college basketball games that have been played in the last hundred years. 
there are not more games that have more history behind them than that. 42 years of this guy being at Duke, playing against his arch rival, arch rival, bigger rivals than Michigan, Ohio State, bigger rivals than Michigan, Michigan State. Let me tie this in locally. Bigger rivals than Minnesota, North Dakota hockey. Bigger than all of it. And it's not even that close. Because in Michigan, Ohio State football, there was no competition for the last 18 years up until recently. Duke and Carolina pummel each other year after year. It is always heated competition. One of the biggest rivalries in all of sports in the world. 42 years of this guy coaching at Duke. And he plays North Carolina, arch rival, in the final four in his last game. In what can be in his last game, the first time he meets North Carolina in the postseason. All the history these two teams have together in the regular season. All the games, 200 and whatever games he's played against Carolina. And he meets them in the final four in the first ever postseason matchup between the two. That's crazy. You don't script it any better than that. Did St. Peter's throw the game against Carolina? I don't know. Listen to Conspiracy Theory Podcast for that. I don't know. And honestly, I don't really care. To be completely honest, I don't care if St. Peter's threw the game. Here's what I know. They looked tough, and they looked fast, and they looked better in every game that they played. They looked better than the other team in every game that they played, and all of a sudden they show up in a game where if Carolina wins, it's Duke Carolina, and they showed up in that game, and they just completely fell apart. That's what I know. But do with that what you want. And I'm not saying anything, and I'm not saying that I'm saying something. I'm just laying it out for you. You can think whatever you want. But regardless of what happened, Carolina playing Duke like that, you can't, you don't make things any better than that. I mean, that that's like, that's like, that's like Duke playing Carolina in the Final Four in Coach K's last game. There's no, compar- there's no comparison. There's zero comparison for that. That is the comparison. Jim Harbaugh playing against Ryan Day when they're both 80, that's that's like Duke playing Carolina in Coach K's last game, right? If, if Dan Campbell and, uh, let's think, if Dan Campbell and Matt LaFleur end up being insane head coaches and they create 30-year dynasties with their football teams, and they play each other in one final game when they're both 70, that game gets compared to UNC Duke, that Final Four game. That game is the comparison now. That is the standard. You will never see that. You will never see that. In North Carolina, in their first year, coming out of a dynasty with Roy Williams, in their first year, one, one season, brand new head coach, after 30, 40 years or whatever it was, of Roy Williams. One season. And in his one season, Hubert Davis, 29 wins, two of them against Duke, eight seed in the national championship, ends Coach K's career. Ends the career of the most hated man in Chapel Hill. How do you write it better than that? How? Hockey sure as hell couldn't. I'll tell you that. I just pissed off a lot of my audience. Anyways. How can you script it better? 
What can you do to make that matchup better? Even in the competition, and we'll get to that in a second. Paolo Bancaro, by the way, uh, I would like to see him in a Pistons jersey. Aside from that, Duke, Coach K, 42 seasons. His wife's coming down. She's crying. She's sad. Coach K walks off the court in his last ever game. They don't shake hands with Carolina. They walk away. Game over. Carolina's celebrating on the court. Eight seed going to the national championship. Hubert Davis in his first season. His voice sounds like someone put a buzzsaw to his Adam's apple. It's just, it's crazy. It's Caleb Love, 30 points against UCLA. Total team effort win against Duke. Scored 80 points on him, 81 to 77. They beat Duke. I mean, what do you do with that? How do you make it so that that game gets compared to something else? Where does it get better than that? Answer, it doesn't. It never gets better than that. It never will. And I don't mean to like depress the college basketball masses into thinking that you won't ever get a game that's better than that. I mean, there are there will be actual games that will get played that are better games than that, yes. But in terms of the stakes and the history and the rivalry associated with that game, you will never see anything like that again. Ever. Ever. Even even if it were were Izzo there's not even a comparison for Izzo. Go through all these head coaches that have been around. Larinaga? Who's Larinaga going to play against? Um, they're all they're all already gone. How about Jay Wright, right? Is it going to be Jay Wright, Ed Cooley in 20 years? I don't know. Right? Is it going to be... It, it won't be Chris Mack after how that ended up in Louisville, right? It, could it be... Could it be Jawan Howard and fill in the blank? Right? Could it be could it be Jawan Howard and uh oh what's his name for Ohio State? Not oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm blanking on the Ohio State head coach's name. I am gonna get fired from every radio job that I ever work if I ever work one. I can't remember his name. Uh, but Jawan Howard versus Ohio State head coach. If they develop dynasties and they coach at the same school for 25, 30 years. You'll never see it again. You will never see anything, any college basketball spectacle like that ever again. Nothing like that on that stage. Never again. So I think it's important to take a second and just appreciate what we got with that. I don't think it's wrong to do that. So let's get into the actual game. Right, so we have Duke Carolina, 81-77. to Carolina wins a back-and-forth game all game long. Right, this isn't like Carolina going up 15 on on Kansas and then coming back and Kansas has another Miami-esque second half, right? Back and forth all game, high level of competition, and Carolina just guts it out in the end and Armando Baycott has, you know, 30 points and 65 rebounds, right? But he rolls his ankle. So then you get into, "Oh, is Baycott going to be healthy for the championship game against Kansas?" What Carolina did in that game against Duke Truly, in my opinion, undersized. I would also say undervalued because I think Carolina, people that could have bet Carolina money line were getting like plus 140-ish odds, I think. I mean, that's a pretty good value for Carolina money line for a team that has rolled through every team that they've played against and also beat Duke by almost 
15 points or something like that the last time that they played at Cameron, right? And in Carolina was Carolina was only a four point four point underdog in that game, but they were still getting nice plus odds on the money line. So it's like, man, how can they go in and just beat Duke like that? And it was close all the way up to the end. But when Duke had made the crunch time plays all tournament, Duke had played their best basketball almost every game in the tournament with less than four minutes to go. The way they would the way they closed it out against Michigan State, the way they closed it out against Texas Tech. That was the best Duke basketball of the game. But this time, when it came to the under four, when it came to under two minutes to go, when it came to crunch time, Caleb Love hit the big shot. Caleb Love hit that dirty step back. The same thing that the Duke guy did against Michigan State and Michigan State. Same thing that happened against Texas Tech. This time, it, it was perfect. It was perfectly scripted. Because now Carolina's was when Carolina's guy was gonna beat a guy did the step back three over the outstretched arm of the defender and the arc of the ball was going to be 25 feet in the air and it was going to drop right down in the hoop. Perfect ending. Perfect ending. I, I jumped up in my seat. Jumped up right out of my seat when that happened. Right. It was like Loki watching Thor get ragdolled in the arena and Ragnarok, right? And in Michigan State and Texas Tech fans were Loki in the first Avengers movie. And now we're in Thor Ragnarok and we, Texas Tech and Michigan State fans, are watching Duke get ragdolled by a miracle step back three a minute into the game to put just to put an axe through your heart and cut off any chance of potentially winning the game. Right? That's how it felt. And it felt good. It felt good to watch that happen too. And I'm not necessarily a Duke hater. Now if I get accepted into UNC Chapel Hill, then uh, yeah, I'm gonna be a Duke hater. But also didn't apply to Chapel Hill because basketball. Completely unrelated reasons. Completely unrelated. Just putting that out there. I'm, I, don't, I'm not, I don't see team go to Final Four and I go, ooh, I'm applying to the school. The application deadline was February 15th. I've been applied for a long time. Long before. Back when UNC basketball wasn't even doing that good. Right around when they lost a pit by 40 at home. Quad four loss. Nice loss that that was. But anyways, I got, I got off down a rat hole there for a minute. But anyways... What what could Carolina have done to make that win sweeter, right? I don't think they could have done anything. I think they did it perfectly. They beat Duke the exact way that Duke beat everybody else leading into that game. With size in the paint, big guards, suffocating defense, arms out on almost every play on defense using the wingspan of their guards to the advantage, matching up Leaky Black on whoever they wanted to, Brady Manick, clamping Paolo Bancaro for a good amount of the game, but Bancaro also making plays. That Manic Bancaro was one of those games within the games that I had a great time watching, just seeing how that matchup kind of broke down and evolved as the game went on, because you would have you would have Bancaro who could extend, who could play at range, play off the ball, play, you know, dribble the ball and handle the ball, make moves from the perimeter into the paint with the ball without needing an entry pass from a guard, or he can post up from the start of the possession and get Manic, get in between, you know, right? He can get in front of Manic and back down on him and get that entry pass low on the block from a guard, right? From a guy like Jeremy Roach. He can turn around on Manic. But watching Manic and Bancaro go go head to head at each other was a fun matchup to watch. You could tell. Even with Manic as a transfer student, you could see that there was animosity there. They didn't like each other. And and Manic had just Boncaro, first season with the team. Manic, first season with the team. 
And that rivalry heated already. It didn't take long. Barely took a half. So that's that's why games like this are so special, right? Not only is it history, not only is it rivalry, it's games within games within games. It's little individual battles that win you the war as a whole. And then you got to do it again against Kansas. And they didn't. They came up just short, right? Now, like I said earlier, I'm not even necessarily a Duke hater. Now, I hate that my team always gets put in Duke's bracket no matter what. We always get put in Duke's region. You see that stupid green Sparty logo, and right next to him, or you look two, two, two sections up, you see that little blue devil sitting there staring you in the eye. Every time. Every time. Potential matchup of Duke and Michigan State. Feelings about Duke aside, that game, no matter who was going to win, spectacle. Basketball perfection. Both ways. If it was a close game. If it would have been a blowout, I'd have been a little bit disappointed. But either way, right? And especially that Carolina one. Coach K, the thought of Coach K, this 42-year historic 1,000-win career, best of all time to do it. The thought that his career ends, ends, done, retirement, no more. The thought that it ends, losing twice in a row to Carolina, the biggest rival, the biggest rival, twice in a row to them with the second loss coming in the final four on the world's biggest college basketball stage. That cannot be how he wanted to go out. And that always leaves in those little seeds of doubt. Could he come back? One last dance, Coach K. No, not going to happen. At least I hope it doesn't happen. And it shouldn't happen. Because he made all these commitments earlier in the year, and he did this whole announce the next head coach thing, and it just shouldn't, he shouldn't come back for another year. Now, I don't want to start that discussion. People can start their own rumors, do whatever they want with that in the future, but that's not me. That's not what I'm going to do. So then we get Carolina-Kansas, <clears throat> which is a historic game in itself because we saw something happen in that game that had never been seen anywhere else, ever, in any national championship game. It had never happened. 16-point comeback, largest comeback ever in a national championship game done by Kansas to win it and to put me in first place in pretty much every bracket group that I'm in with less than 50 people in it. So, uh, yeah, kudos to me. Good job, me. I picked my brackets right. I'd kind of look like an idiot if I didn't, too, with all this talking and lollygagging about it that I did. But I did okay. I got I got first place. Kansas helped me get there, and it came at the cost of Carolina. But, you know, that's okay. We all make sacrifices. So Carolina or Kansas comes back from the 16-point deficit, beats Carolina, literally beats Carolina, hits them, but... <laughs> But they come back and they win this game, and it gives Kansas a national championship, and it gives Bill Self his second national championship game. So now, Bill Self has two national championships, and Carolina is left in the dust after this miracle run, and they give up this comeback, largest in, in NCAA history. They did it again after being up 26 or 25 against Baylor. They do it again. They're up 15-16 against Kansas. And Kansas comes back, wins the game. They're up 15 at half, right? 16 at the biggest point in the game. The biggest lead was 16. And they give it up. It was right there. They, an eight seed, had the national championship in their hands. Right there. How do you move on? What do you do with that? Right? We've got, we've got 
Puff Johnson vomiting on the sidelines, literally uh, in the corner, coughing up a, uh, coughing up a liver, just standing there, cause he's gassed, cause he's done, cause he's winded. He came back in one more time for the rest of the game. I mean, craziness. You don't see this stuff. You only see it in March. I mean, he got hit in the stomach, and then he walks back down, and he starts hacking up a liver. It's like you don't see that. So what do you do now if you're Carolina? What do you do now if you're Kansas? If you're Kansas, you enjoy it at the top. You enjoy everything. You congratulate yourself on what you've done, and you go back to Lawrence, Kansas, and (laughs) that's where you lose because you go back to Lawrence, Kansas, and trust me, I'm in smaller version of Lawrence, Kansas. I know. It's a pretty big L. But you go back home, you celebrate your national championship, and you start again next season. For Carolina, you start the revenge tour. It starts now. Everything that you look to build for next season, it starts right now, immediately. As soon as you get off that plane, honestly, it started as soon as you felt that sour taste of defeat in the national championship game. How you rebuild, that starts now. Who leaves? Who stays? You're going to return Caleb Love. You're going to return Puff Johnson. You're, they're going to be all these guys that are going to come back. Other people, too. Leak will probably come back, right? Or I think R.J. Davis is going to come back, right? They're, they're going to be returning players. R.J. Davis, I actually, I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. But this isn't, you know, this isn't Chapel Hill Sports Talk Radio. So cut me a break. Anyways, um, so we've got we've got Chapel Hill, we've got Carolina, they've got all these things going on, right? Hubert Davis in his first season. There's a lot to build on. You beat Duke twice. I mean, come on, you beat Duke twice in one season. That's got to count for something. It's your biggest rivalry. Then you've got NC State trying to act like they're relevant in literally anything at all in that area. They're not. They're not. NC State's irrelevant. Literally everything. I already talk like a Tar Heel. Let me into your school, please. Anyways. Um, Jeez. <laughs> oh, but anyways, you have Armando Baycott, who averages a double-double in the first half. You have Leaky Black, who's one of the best defenders out there. You have Brady Manick, who's done, right? He Graduate transfer, he's done. So Manick's gone. You had Caleb Love, who can be an elite scorer, a truly elite scorer. You know, he takes a lot of shots, sometimes too many, but Caleb Love is an elite scorer. You have R.J. Davis, who's captain, can run the point. You've got Puff Johnson, who you would like to see develop. You saw flashes of what he can do in the biggest stage, in the national championship game, in the biggest moments of the game. You saw what he can do. Right, there are things. This isn't some one-and-done run for the Tar Heels. This isn't three year, two, three years of mediocrity. Then coming, you know, after the 2017 victory, you know, 2018, 2019, 2020, this isn't that stretch of time where all of a sudden you just pop back up in 2022 and you fade back into this like weird rut of are we good or are we bad, right? This isn't this isn't that. So I think it's important now for college basketball fans to say that Carolina is back. I really think that they are back. Is I think what they found in Hubert Davis is a coach that not only is he going to push players to their limits, but his players are going to push him as well. Not only is Hubert Davis going to forge these players and make these players 
fit into his system. He's going to let these players be themselves. You saw Coach Davis give Caleb Love the green light in numerous situations. Who did he go to when he needed a three-point basket at the end of the game? He went to Caleb Love. He went to a shooter, a, a player who had not been shooting good in the game. He went to him and said, you are my elite scorer. You are my person. Now, the argument could be made. Should he have gone to Brady Maddock? Who says he didn't look to Brady Maddock? Who says he didn't look right at Brady Maddock and say, I'm going to call a play for you? And Maddock said, no. Caleb Love's the elite scorer. Caleb Love hits the big shots. We need to go to Caleb Love. Who's to say that didn't happen? Hubert Davis put his trust in a guy who hadn't been shooting the ball well. But that goes to show how much trust he has in his players as scorers, and specifically Caleb Love. And I think you're going to see that trust that Coach puts in his players, that Coach Davis puts into his players. You're going to see that put back into the coach, right? His players play hard for him. And you saw St. Peter's playing for their coach and what they can do. This is an inspired group of Carolina basketball players, and they're going to be right back to where they were next season. And, uh... By the way, in case you didn't notice, the ACC had a down year, and there's there's this guy that you might have heard of. His name is Mike Krzyzewski. Uh He lives about 10 miles down the road from Chapel Hill in, in a little place called Durham, North Carolina. He's not going to be there anymore. He's gone. He left. Bye. Retired. Out he goes. There won't be any of it. So we now, if you're a guy, say we, you as Carolina people, or we as college basketball fans, get to see the Carolina resurgence. We get to see how it develops. We get to see the Hubert Davis legacy, the dynasty begin. Because I think I think Carolina has done a fantastic job bringing in Roy Williams' replacement, an, an, an almost irreplaceable head coach who had a tough run at the end, but overall, he still did great things for the team, did great things for the school. I mean, they named the court after him, for God's sakes. Right? So, there are all these things now that Carolina gets to do. And and this isn't, I don't think they're going to look back at it. They're going to feel the sting of defeat. But there's there's got to be a sense of pride and how proud that they should be for the team, for the team effort, for how they did overall, and, and just everything that they did leading up to it. The game against Baylor, I mean, 25-point 20, lead, Manic gets ejected, the lead disappears, and you put together one of the gutsiest overtime performances I've ever seen. I, I don't... Having a game go to overtime like that after losing a 25-point lead in the second half, like, how do you even play in that overtime, let alone win? I mean, that's heart-wrenching, and that just speaks to Hubert Davis as a coach, and that speaks to his guys as a team. I mean, that is some fantastic work done by Coach Davis and his staff. So that's what I got with Carolina and with, with the Final Four. So... Next thing I want to do is I want to take a look back at the tournament as a whole. And I just want to say that this tournament was fantastic. Even though there were zero buzzer beaters to win a game at all. I sound like an idiot. Oh, the buzzer beaters are are inevitable. They're always going to be buzzer beaters. Uh, this year, there, there were zero. But we had St. Peter's making history. We had Duke Carolina in the Final Four. We had, I mean, we had Murray State playing Frisco in overtime and then losing to St. Peter's. We had Richmond beating Iowa in a game that nobody saw coming. We had Izzo versus Coach K in the second round. Potential matchup of Duke and Michigan State. We, there were there were so many different things that that we should be glad to have had in this NCAA tournament. You know, Michigan pulled a big upset 
against Villanova. And in the end, in a year where everything was all leveled out, you thought maybe this would be the year where you'd see a Tennessee, an Auburn, a Purdue, you know, even a Murray State, right? You thought maybe you could see a team like that make a run deeper than they have in previous years, right? Arkansas, and Arkansas did a little bit as well by beating uh, by beating Gonzaga as they, they should have because Gonzaga needs to join a conference. But you thought maybe you could see some of these teams. And then it ended up being four Blue Bloods, Nova, Kansas, Carolina, Duke. And I don't think that's a bad thing because I think that just shows the resilience, the resiliency of these programs and just how good they really are. In a year where any it was anybody's tournament, it was anybody that could have done it. In a year where you look and you don't say that the Blue Bloods are right there in the thick of it, right? Duke and Kansas, to me, were the two kind of clear-cut ones. You thought Duke and Kansas had the best shot. But outside of them, you had Texas Tech that could easily make. If Texas Tech were to beat Duke, that wouldn't shock me, right? You had Purdue, who was playing good. You had Tennessee playing good. You had Arkansas, who was playing all right. You had Texas Tech, who was right in there too, right? You had different teams. You had Auburn, right, with Jabari Smith. There were so many different teams that could have found their way to knock out a blue blood. St. Peter's did it with Kentucky. But in the end, it was four of them. Carolina, Villanova, Kansas, and Duke. They all found their way in because they're just that good. And they don't care because they're the blue bloods because they own college basketball. Would it have been fun to see Texas Tech, UCLA, Purdue and Tennessee, or Auburn and Purdue. It would, have, but would that have been fun? Yes, it would have been cool. But in the end, the Blue Bloods had to remind everybody who they really were and to not mess with them. And Matt Painter had to remind everybody that he'll never get past the Elite Eight. Or this week is Sweet 16 this year, but overall the Elite Eight. So that's pretty much, that's, a, that was just, that's just my quick recap of the tournament. The next thing that I want to do is this. So long, 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 long ago, I said, we're going to do some non-sports activities on this show. We're going to have a little bit of fun. And I have fun when I do sports stuff on the show. But outside of sports, which is what I like to specialize in, I like to talk about some things that I have fun with. Some things that just give a little bit of taste into what I'm like when I'm not crying about the Lions being completely asleep and free agency, right? The, the Lions are hibernating in free agency right now. So what do I do when I'm not talking about the Lions being asleep at the wheel for free agency? Well, there was a show that came out last week, and episode two is going to come out tomorrow. It's called Moon Knight. I just want to say that I think Moon Knight can be a history-altering television, TV series. Not only... Not just because it's Marvel, because I, I like Marvel stuff. I'm into that kind of thing. But the way that Moon Knight is going into mental illness and disorder and this whole schizophrenia, double personality idea and how they're portraying it, I mean, this is serious stuff that they're going into. This is stuff that when I, you know, if I'm ever fortunate... I'll say fortunate. If I'm ever fortunate enough 
to bring it won't be fortunate for the world but it'll be fortunate for me if i if i bring a child into this world the world will honestly probably end if there's more of me on this planet but if i were to bring another smaller version of me onto this planet i i don't know how much i would expose them to a show like that and i'm usually someone that would that would be pretty like relaxed with that kind of stuff because you're going to get exposed to it eventually i might as well be there when it happens so i can at least explain what the hell's going on instead of just waiting for you to go watch someone get their finger cut off by the maniac fifth grader in class right i'd, I'd rather i'd rather you watch these you know graphic things happen on tv while i'm there so i can at least be like hey this is how this works instead of you going over to you know so and so's house and you go watch saw right i mean i you know i can't prevent everything right i'm not perfect but when it comes to stuff like that i mean this is serious stuff and i think this is the start of a new way to bring awareness to anything literally anything make a show about a character struggling with something like this i mean this whole double person, and I get that it's made for entertainment purposes and it's adapted from the comics and everything. I get it. But what Moon Knight can do for future television broadcasting in shows and in films is crazy. Now, depicting different mental illnesses like this isn't just documentary based anymore. It's not talking about someone that went through this and their struggles with it. You are seeing now a dramatized performance depicting a character, right? It was like it was like back at the start of when people would start to have LGBTQ characters in in shows and in movies, right? It started with that. It it started with, you know, talking about people and doing documentaries about people who lived who lived that lifestyle. And now you had characters moving into television shows into movies that were part of the LGBTQ community. And now it went it's going from talking about people with mental illness, it's going from double personality, you know, anxiety, talking about things like that in discussion formats, in biography format, in in documentarial format. You're now going from there to depicting these characters like Moon Knight struggle with things like this and i'm not saying moon knight's the first one to do it but moon knight's the first one to do it in this superhero it's moon knight's the first one to do it in this big of a market which is where it's going to get the attention right there um anxiety and things have been depicted among characters in in shows and movies everywhere it's happened but when moon knight takes a disorder as serious as double personality as serious something like that and puts it out there for billions and i mean billions with a b b i l ins billions of billions and billions and billions and billions billions of people to see that means something that starts something right and there are other characters with different illnesses and you've you've seen it happen in the marvel universe but in the age where mental illness is becoming so much more highlighted and discussed and made public and talked about to have a show like this come out at this time when mental health is at an all-time high in terms of how it gets discussed and talked about 
with everything going on with COVID and coming out of it or wherever we're doing, wherever we are with that, right? Like you're starting to see now what Moon Knight can do. And, and you see it at the end of the credits, right? They, they give the phone number and the website for mental health resources. That's never happened before. And Moon Knight is revolutionizing the way mental health gets portrayed in TV shows. And no better time to do it than now. And I'm not someone that's going to get on and make, you know, I'm not someone that posts eight things about mental health per day. Not saying that's a bad thing if you do that. I'm not saying if it's a good thing that you don't do that. I'm just saying I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself a massive, like, person that knows everything about mental health. I'm not a psych major. I don't, I don't know, you know, I'm not doing pre-med, right? I don't, I don't know things necessarily like deep scientific facts about mental health. But what I do know is, is people are talking about it more. It's becoming a bigger issue. It's real. And now you're starting to see, I don't think it's a coincidence at this time they decided to do, to put Moon Knight out. They could have made Moon Knight whenever they wanted to, right? But seeing all this kind of just filter its way through, seeing all the things about mental health become more and more prevalent, now they decide to pull the trigger on Moon Knight production. I don't think that's an accident. And I think it's smart because I I cannot imagine the number of people that not only watch Moon Knight just for the pure Marvel entertainment and watching that guy kick some ass, but outside of that, the people that watch that and can relate to this character and make them feel like they're not alone in the universe. I'm not speaking from personal experience, by the way. I mean, this isn't this isn't like me on my own little like soapbox saying I relate with everything Moon Knight. But what I'm saying is, is this character can relate to people in a brand new way, a way that we've never seen a Marvel character relate to people before, right? You know, we've had we've had the female Marvel characters. For, for the female audience to relate to and the female audience to associate with. We've had the Marvel superheroes that represent people of color, right? We've had, we've had an, basically an entire cast of Marvel film, of, of, an, of an entire Marvel film be of, of Asian, an Asian cast, right? We had Shang-Chi come out last, last year that came out, right? Which is a fantastic film. We've had Black Panther come out, which was an, basically an entire african-american cast right so there have been these ways for people outside of just your everyday 35 year old white male comic book owner you've had ways for different audiences to relate to characters but moon knight is doing it in a brand new way because now you know mental health doesn't discriminate mental health is everywhere it's in white people it's in black people, it's with Asian people, it's with men, it's with women, it's with cats, it's with everybody. It is, it, mental health does not pick and choose. Mental health issues do not pick and choose who they want to affect. They affect everybody in different ways, whether it be personally, whether you know somebody, it affects you. And now Moon Knight, not only does it, not only does this character relate with a certain gender, or a certain race. This character now associates with all all races, with all genders, and a mental aspect of it too. So we've got this, you know, we, we could have a white person that deals with something like this, or we could have an Asian person that deals with something like this, or we could have a Latino person that deals with this, right? It could be anybody now. And how, and how people can watch Moon Knight 
and say, wow, this relates me and this affects me and I feel for this guy, right? The way that happens and the way Oscar Isaac portrays it, fantastic. And I, I mean, I already have a personal bias from Star Wars because I love Oscar Isaac. I think he was one of the best parts of the sequel trilogy for Star Wars. But seeing how Oscar Isaac portrays this, this just kind of quiet, innocent, just museum worker that deals with this with this awful mental health disorder and watching him have to deal with it and move through it and navigate his life dealing with this issue and, and come to acceptance with it almost by the end of the first episode and let it control him? I mean, that's tough stuff. That's tough stuff. So I'm not, you know, I'm not, like I said, I'm not someone that's going to come on here every week and do a 15-minute mental health segment. But I think it's important when watching Moon Knight to not disregard that aspect of the character and not ignore that, I mean, this character is dealing with something that real-life humans deal with. And a point of this character is is not just to entertain, which it is, and it's a it's a great show outside of outside of everything that Oscar Isaac does. I'm real I really am excited for what this show can do. But but what Moon Knight can do for a character has never been seen before. What Moon Knight can do is a character for everybody. It giving something new to relate with, right? It, it's super important for Marvel storytelling, Star Wars storytelling, everybody's storytelling to give new ways for for people to feel comforted and relate to a certain character and, and Moon Knight does that perfectly so so not only watch Moon Knight for the entertainment but watch it knowing that there are people in real life that struggle with this right now they don't all turn in to a to a badass assassin mercenary in white clothing that you know chops people's heads off right that's it's not exactly what happens but there are people that deal with with these types of disorders and I'm not going to try to explain it medically because that would just be not smart because I don't know what the hell I'm talking about when it comes to the actual deep scientific facts about it. I'm clueless, right? Any medical professionals out here want to get eight views on Take the Plunge? Come out. Give me a call. But what I'm saying is, is when you have something like this, something brand new, and when you can watch this and relate in a new way, it's super important. And I think it's very necessary for those that view, not just to view to watch, you know, Moon Knight, you know, assassinate people. Watch to watch to see so you can understand how tough it is some people have it. And for those of you that have it, that deal with something comparable to what to what Moon Knight has to deal with, hopefully it brings comfort. And I think it does to a lot of people, right? Like someone for me, this is as personal as I'll get with it, right? For someone that has had anxiety issues in the past right not not now but in the past when i was shut down from life for two years and locked away in a dorm room for four months not able to go anywhere or talk to anybody or do anything and have it be negative 30 degrees outside that changes you you deal with mental health issues things happen and seeing this character deal with something like this not exactly what i went through of course but when you, when you see a big money market character deal with the complexities of mental health, when I watch that, I relate to it. And, and it brings comfort that other people get to watch the same thing too and deal with it. So that's, that's, my, that's, my, that's my thing with Moon Knight. I'm not going to 
get any deeper into it than I already have because I've already went on I've already went on a rant with it. But I just really like what they're doing with Moon Knight. And I can't wait to see not only how the plot develops, but I can't wait to see how they evolve uh, Moon Knight Oscar Isaac's you know battle with that kind of mental health issue. So last thing now, the last little pop culture thing we'll do for the day is today marks rebirth. It marks the return of something that built me as a young child, as a young Indiana, Northwest Indiana native, six, seven years old, understanding the way the Midwest works as a Chicago suburb-ish Northwest Indiana resident. There was a time where I was probably in second grade. I would wake up on a weekend. It'd be a great day. It'd be a sunny, sunny day. I'd have no school. I'd be happy. Happiest I'll get out that I didn't have to go to class in second grade because I hated second grade. I would wake up. I'd annoy my parents. I'd go into my parents' room, knock on the door. Thank God I didn't see anything. Blast through the door. Wake them up. Can I play the Wii? Can I play the Wii? Can I get on the Wii, please? Because I was one, I was one of those low lowlifes that had to ask to play the video game console. I couldn't just I couldn't just hop on the Wii at any time I wanted like you spoiled brats did. I'd actually like ask permission to actually do something, you know, unlike you who could just get in the car as an eight year old and just drive it wherever the hell you wanted. Like I actually had to ask for things, you know. But anyways, can I play the Wii? Can I play the Wii? Can I do this, please? Can I go on the Wii, please? How much time do you want? Thirty minutes, please. Can I go on the Wii, please? Please, sir, may I have some more? Can I play the Wii? Okay, yeah, go play the Wii. You can play the Wii till we get up. All right, cool. Bet. I'm gonna go. Play, I'm gonna go play the Wii now. Turn on the Wii. What game am I gonna play? Mario Kart. Yeah, I've done a lot of Mario Kart. Yeah, we'll see. Mario Bros. Ah, yeah, maybe we'll see. I don't know. Oh, how about Lego Star Wars: The Complete Saga? Hours on hours on hours on hours on hours of that game played as a child. I mean, even even almost going into middle school, I still would have had that Wii and I still would have played it. The amount of time I put into that game as a kid, incomparable. Nearly incomparable. Outside of Star Wars Battlefront 1, 2015, not 2009. Don't get confused. I never had a PS2. I wasn't that cool. But LEGO Star Wars now has been brought back to life in the form of the Skywalker Saga. And it's downloaded, but I haven't played it. But I just want to say, as a Star Wars fan and someone who's seen and waited a long time, listen, I pre-ordered LEGO Star Wars The Skywalker Saga when I was still in high school. As soon as the game got announced, I pre-ordered it. And I'm about to finish, I'm about to be halfway done with my undergrad. And I ordered that game when I was still in high school, pretty much. Right about to graduate. I mean, that's crazy how long. Not only I waited since, you know, Lego Star Wars Complete Saga just died out, and also how long I waited since I actually pre-ordered the game when it was announced, right? So I just want to say, as a Star Wars fan, and hopefully there are other Star Wars fans as well listening, I am fired up for this game to come back. I mean, this is terrible for me, because I'm pretty much in the height of the semester and the workload, and they just dropped this game that I want to spend like nine hours a day playing. So now I don't know what to do. So as soon as I get off this they get off this show and I'm done recording, I'm gonna go play Lego Star Wars the Skywalker Saga. Actually, now that I say it, I am done and I am gonna go play Lego Star Wars the Skywalker Saga. See ya! Now where is Lucy?